Good morning. Come on, how we feel this morning? It's great to be here this morning. It's so good to be together with you in church today. Welcome to the Avenue. As Pastor Jessica said, welcome home. Welcome to our first service this morning. Excited about all that God is doing and where he's at in our lives. Come on, kids are back at school. Teachers are back rejoicing as well. So many opportunities for us. And we love our students. We love our teachers. We had a great weekend last week, blessing them. And water baptisms was amazing. It was so good to have so much happening here. Hey, if you want to know more about the Avenue, jump on the website. Small groups are around the corner. And so small groups are a great time for you to build relationship, find somebody, get into a friendship with somebody, pop into one, and become a part of the church as it expands throughout the week, not only on Sunday morning alone. If you want to lead a small group and be a small group leader, see Pastor Tara or myself and let us know. And there's a little bit of criteria that we ask of you, obviously, because it's a leadership level there, but most of you would be able to. And so um, we'd love to have you lead a group, host a group, be a part of that as well. As we dive into our small groups, they begin September the 1st. And so we are excited as small group season is almost here. As you continue to uh, look for places to become a part. I know some of y'all took the 100-day tithe challenge that we did, uh, that we talked about in the conversation in part three of that week as we talked about finances and, uh, and money. And so as you're doing that, continue to be faithful to that. If you're wondering what that is, we just challenge people. God said, put me to the test uh, when it comes to the tithe, when it comes to your finances. And so we challenge people to tithe for 100 days and see if God was not of his word. If he was not a true to his word as to what he said. And so some of you had taken that. And so continuing that, I encourage you to stay in that place as well. Tithing has been a part of our lives as long as we've been married. It was a part of our lives before we were married. It is a part of our lives because we believe it's what God has for us. If you want to become a part of that as well, hey, dive in. There's many ways you can give here at the Avenue. Give back to God through the church. If you're new and visiting, there's no pressure at all or obligation to give whatsoever. This service is truly our gift to you. We want you to enjoy it. We want you to know that you walked out of here knowing God did something in my life. I was changed because of this. I want this experience again. I would like to bring somebody with me. I got to say, y'all are doing a great job of being inviters. Come on. How many of y'all invite somebody to church? You're a bringer. You bring people. You talk to people. You challenge people. You share. Hey, I got this. Could you imagine having a secret and not telling anybody about it? Like, I got this awesome, amazing community church, but I'm not telling anybody. You're going to tell everybody all about it. If I eat at a restaurant and it blows my mind, everybody's going to find out. So I'm just saying, I love how we are a culture of inviters and bringers as well. It's a great season for that right now as people are kind of getting their lives back into structure as school and academics are in place as well. We're in the middle of a series. We're in week number three now of a series called In My Feelings. How many of y'all have some feelings about life? You had some feelings this week about things. You had some feelings going on this morning as you got out of bed, got your day going, your perspective, your thoughts, a lot of it, what came from the place that you, how you woke up feeling, how you felt this week from five days of dropping kids off. I know that as schools get in, there's a lot of different challenges happening. Just getting your children dropped off and picked up from school, there's a challenges happening. People get all in their feelings about school pickup. Ow, pastor, I got my feelings under control until you wait in the school pickup line. Turn them into walkers, people. It's the secret sauce. Our feelings are so all around us. They, they encompass us. They're in us. They come out of us. That's why we're doing this series about our feelings, because our feelings should not dictate our decisions. They should celebrate our choices. And so the choices you make should then uh, begin to show you, I have a good feeling because of a great choice I made. I don't make a good choice because I feel good. I feel good because I made a good choice. So when you feel bad, now I'm not led by my feelings. Well, I feel bad this morning. I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do with my life. 
No, that's why feelings don't dictate your decisions. But your principles do. And when your principles lead your life, now your feelings just follow. And they follow you around everywhere you go. My feelings are fine in the passenger seat, not in the driver's seat. Feelings cannot dictate where you go and what you do with your life. But we have them. We can't deny them. So we're doing this series. In the first week, Aaron talked about how our feelings are in our mind and what we think. Last week, we dove into some really deep territory. We put on scuba gear and went down deep into some of our father uh, issues and how challenging it can be to look at our heavenly father when Jesus invites us into a relationship with his father. He is our brother. God is our father. And yet our earthly father is flawed. Each one of us is flawed, fragmented, broken. And it's a challenging conversation to have that I have to look as my heavenly father as perfection. As he is not just a reflection of my earthly father, but he is the perfection of everything that I want to be in my life as well. This morning I want to dive and kind of stay in some of that because this series is about the fact that we have to confront the past to change the future. Are you willing to confront the past and what's behind you in order that you may change what's ahead of you and where God wants to take you? Are you willing to do the hard work and put in the time and the effort, the labor that it would take from you? Because oftentimes people don't want to do anything and and work hard at what's behind them. And I hear this a lot. Well, Pastor Philippians 3.14 says, Looking not what's behind me, but focusing at what is ahead, I put my eyes on the goal of Christ. Very good verse, very true in theology, very wrong in context of you not uh, approaching your past. Paul is not writing about our sin and our trauma. Paul is writing about his credentials that he had in his life to be who he was as an apostle. Paul said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I studied at the feet of the head of the Pharisees. He said, I was a Hebrew. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul went so deep, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day, if that means something to y'all. You can laugh. He said, I'm telling you, this is who I was. And I have to know that I put it all behind me and realize it's rubbish So he says, my credentials, who I thought I was trying to become in order to be who I wanted to be, means nothing. The context there is so important. He's not speaking about this is who I was in my sin, trauma, pain. He said, this is who I was trying to be in my credentials. This morning, I want you to realize you have to look at some of your sin, your trauma, and your pain in the eye. That's why we look back at fathers last week, and mothers can be included in that as well, but that's a whole nother conversation. I, I got invited to a, uh, a soul care event for pastors last September. It was in South Carolina, and I flew in and got there, and it was a, a week-long soul care, and there was a therapist there, and it was kind of like an a, a experiment, if you will. They did some teaching. They had some conversations, because I mean, you all know we have to take care of our souls pastors, people, each one of us. And so they were inviting pastors in to see how they could help take care of some of that. And one of the things they said was they were thoroughly convinced that every trauma wound in your life comes from your mom and your dad. And I raised my hand. And I said, you're saying every wound? He said, every wound. It's just a handful of people there. And I said, well, what if dad wasn't there? He said, well, that's the problem then. But what if mom was like this? Well, that's the problem then. He said, every trauma woman in your life, you could trace back to mom or dad being absent or being present, and then from there, everything else breaks down. He said, you have to go back to see who you came from, where you started. If you want to get to the end, look at where you began. So that's kind of where this series comes from. It evolves from a place that we exist to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. But in order to move forward, we oftentimes have to be willing to confront what is behind us. 
so that it doesn't get carried on into the future. Because I may have to be really careful that I don't pick it up and carry it with me as I continue along in my walk with Christ. And we'll dive into that. We'll open that up because I know in some of your minds you have a couple questions, and I hope to answer them this morning in this part three series. Like Father, like Son. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. And as I read this verse, one verse. Can you believe it? I'm going to preach off one verse this morning. How many of y'all in the room, and raise your hands, how many of you in the room right now, you are a first generational believer? That means your mom and dad did not serve God, as, and you came to Christ, you were the first one in your family. Come on, be bold, raise your hand, you're the first one in your family. How many are second generation? Your mom and dad served God, but your grandparents didn't. Third generation, your grandparents did. Now, my mom and dad were first generational believers. Their parents at the time, they weren't raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad were the first ones on both sides of their family to become Christians. And when they did, then eventually uh, my mom's mom, my dad's mom both came to Christ, and then siblings and aunts and uncles, different pieces around the puzzle did as well. But they're first generational. Listen to me. As a first generation believer, you have a responsibility because you are changing the tide. You're flipping the script. You're shaking things up. But even as a second and a third, you have to realize you are the way you are because a pattern has been set. And sometimes that pattern, even in a Christian home, needs to be changed up. There's things and there's habits and there's hurts and there's hang-ups and there's trauma that has happened in the home. Church pain is real. And it can be a part of our lives as well. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I like this verse because it's reminding us of God's invitation into his family. The church is your family choice. The spiritual family of God is your family you choose to be a part of. The moment you get saved, become a Christian, now you have a new family of origin. Now you step into this space. It doesn't replace, it's just in addition to your physical family, but you, now you have another family as well. And God says, I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this space. God, I thank you for loving us, for guiding us, for being with us. I pray this morning you would do amazing things in our hearts and lives. Change us today in Jesus' name. Lord, as we do the hard work of confronting our past, whatever that means for each person, change us to who you want us to be. In your name we pray. And everybody said, I really believe that good parents are constantly preparing their kids for the future. How many of you would agree with me? Good parents are constantly preparing their children for the future. You're living in the now, but you're looking ahead. You're answering questions for today about tomorrow. Good parents don't get caught parenting in the moment unprepared for tomorrow. They're constantly looking ahead. I recently had a conversation with Frankie, and I, I want to read it to you. And it simply went like this, and here's the context. I was cutting the grass, and as I was going around the yard to cut the grass, I noticed that we have those um, padlocks on both gates on the side of the house. Well, the gate on this side of the house was unlocked, so I took a picture of it, and I sent it to him, and I said, the lock is no good if you don't lock it. How many of y'all feel the spirit of parenting come upon you all of a sudden? And I sent him a picture of an unlock. And he said, I'm sorry about that. He put a thumbs up. Conversation wasn't over. Because I parent for tomorrow. And so I said, and I sent him two emojis. I sent him two, two of those little gif things. And, and one of them was, one of them was Peter Rabbit. He said, come on in, everybody. Come on in. The next one was some guy just waving everybody on like this, like a, a guy on a ship. Like, 
No words needed. They land. They come home. And, and I just, then I said, just inviting anybody in with an unlocked gate. <laughs> and he sends back an emoji, uh, a gif, a gif, whatever you call them. This gif. He sends back one of a guy in the military firing off some crazy weapon, <laughs> shooting everything in sight, and says, I know you got us, Dad. So I hearted it, and I moved on. I said, people with good motives for your life come through the front door, son. Then I put a little picture of a door up. I said, you can't leave an opening for people to harm you or your family. That's how you parent for the future. You deal with today, and you talk about tomorrow. And he responds back, preach. <laughs> and I said, any chance I get. And he responded with, I'll make sure to double check the gate from now on. Why? Because good parents are always looking to tomorrow. You're not overlooking today, but you're helping them see that who they are today determines who they'll be tomorrow. And how you live today, the choices you make today, the things you choose to do and say and become, behave today, will prove to be who you are tomorrow, the day after, the future. The way you act now is the way you're going to act in a marriage. You don't act one way single and another way married. The way I acted as a teenager in the 20s and 30s, I may mature. The style may change, but the stuff's still the same. Unless I make the changes internally. So I try to coach the boys up. And Tara does a, we, we do this. We pay attention to this. We're intentional about this. We do a great job. So recently I went away on a trip and I was taking Frankie with me. He's our 17-year-old. He was going on the trip. I was going out of town. Luca, 10, Dak, just turned 5, going to stay home. So I call him in. Boys, I'm leaving tomorrow. Come here. Come here. Luca. Luke. Luca. Luca. Luca, come here. He thinks he's in trouble. And I use that voice like, you know, so he comes in. He's like, stand up straight. Luca, listen to me. I'm going out of town. I'm going to be gone for a couple days. I need you to really help mom. I know how obedient you are. I know how strong you are. I know how much you love her and you have a tender heart and you see things. I need you to take care of your mom and help her most by obeying her. Yes, sir. You understand? Yes, sir. And if you do, when I get back, you'll get a reward. Yes, sir. What's it going to be? You won't get spanked. Yes, sir. <laughs> Dex! 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 Different child, wild child, comes in. Listen, Dax. <laughs> Dax can't stand still, Dax. Dax. Dax, look at me in the eye. He does this. Dax, I know how bold you are. I know how big your personality is. I need you to love mom a lot while I'm gone. Can you do that? Okay. Now, listen, while I'm gone, you be a big boy. You're almost five. You obey, you listen, and you make sure you take care of mom. If anybody tries to do anything to mom or Luca, you beat them up. Look at these muscles, and he goes into flexing. Why? Because you're constantly trying to coach up your kids for the future. You're preparing them for something that's coming ahead. I call out the obedience. I call out the things I see. I didn't go down a road of correcting them in the moment of what they do bad, their weaknesses. I speak into their strengths and pull that out because they will respond in their strengths. And they had a great week. Why? Because we're talking about life tomorrow as well. In order for us to move into this space, you have to understand where you came from. 
And each one of us have an origin story. Each one of us have family of origin. Why do you think the world is consumed? Hollywood is consumed with giving us origin stories. Superman, Marvel heroes, Batman. How many Batman movies can be made? Origin stories. Why is Batman the way he is? Why is he the vigilante? Why is he the dark knight? Because he suffered a severe trauma as a child, and because of that, it empowered him, enabled him, and equipped him to become the person he is today. Now he has such a hate for crime, he invests all of his resources and life into fighting crime so somebody else won't feel the pain he's never gotten over. Origin stories. So what is your origin story? Where do you come from? What did you come from? How did you get to where you are today? Why are you now 40 years old and doing the same things you did at 20? Because you haven't stopped to confront the past to change the future. And you'll be 60 doing what you did at 40, doing what you did at 20. If you don't take the necessary steps. How many of y'all parents, you, when you had children, you became professional photographers? Professional photographers, all of us, all of us. Dax just had a birthday, turned five, taking pictures like crazy, video. I've got thousands of pictures like you of my kids. I've got pictures I've never seen. I've got pictures I don't remember. I've got pictures that I can't even wrap my mind around. But if you take a picture of those children and you hold it up to a picture of you at that age and your parent at that age and their great-grandparent at that age, you will see similarities and resemblance in those childs. You could superimpose one over top over top the other three to four generations and you'll find we got the same nose. We have the same eyes. Look at that. Look how much they look like their grandparent. And you see it in the physical but do you realize it's also in the spiritual? It's also in the emotional. It's also in the mental. It's more than just physical DNA that gets passed down. It's spiritual DNA and it's emotional DNA as well. Why? Because our present is shaped by our past. And our family of origin goes back three and four generations behind us. And it determines who we are and how we feel about today how we act today, why we are the way we are today, how we get to this place we are in today. And if you pay attention and you can learn this about your life, your issues are probably your daddy's issues. And your daddy's issues are probably your granddaddy's issues. But you can make the change. And you can begin to change the script and flip it up and I want you to know that some of the battles you're fighting and some of the things you're going through, also your parents did, your grandparents did, your great, I never met, I've never met my grandfather on either side, but I still fight his battles. How does that happen? My mom's dad walked out, threatened to kill her as a baby, left home when her mother was pregnant, my grandmother with her younger brother, Never saw him again, hardly. One Christmas came and threw a gift in the front door when she was eight. And yet I still would struggle and fight the same battles that man does. My dad's father passed away when he was four, when my dad was 14. Never met that man. And yet I share DNA in my life in all areas because those struggles are passed down. If you're taking notes, write this down. If we don't confront our issues, you'll become them. If you don't confront the things that are in your line, you'll pass it along. So we have to learn from the past or we're doomed to repeat it. Number one, I'll give you two points this morning because that was a really long intro. Number one, unaddressed sin doesn't get better, it gets worse. Unaddressed sin 
does not get better and it does not go away. It only gets worse. It only improves upon itself. When we don't repent from sin, it reproduces. Here's a good word for you. It recycles. Think about it. The first sin in the Bible we have listed, they ate fruit. The second sin, homicide. It got there fast. Because sin will reproduce sin in a greater magnitude. How many of y'all heard of a man named Abraham? Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham gets called out by God to go to a land, and God says, I want to send you to a place you don't know where you're going, but by faith will you go. We're going to read this in a second. And as he does, Abraham says, here I am, God. Cool, I'll go. Abraham takes off. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now, Abraham is considered the father of the faith. That's his nickname. In kids' church, you sing a song. Father Abraham had many sons. Didn't make a lot of sense. That's the guy. And the Lord said to Abraham in verse 1, Go now from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. Because that's how God does. God says, if you go, then I'll show. Leadership lesson. God doesn't show you, and then you go. God says, you go, and then I'll show. God didn't say, hey, listen, I'm going to show you this church here in New Caney, and then go to it. No, he said, go. And we moved here, and then he began to show us what this looks like. He doesn't say, hey, let me show you what your marriage will be, then I want you to go get married. He says, go get married, and then you begin to see God show up in your marriage. God always says, go, and then I'll show. And he says, go, and then I'll show. I'll make you into a great nation if you go. I'll bless you if you go. I'll make your name great if you go. You will be a blessing if you go. I'll bless those who curse you and curse those that curse you. All people on earth will be blessed through you, but you must go. So the great faith, it took him to step out and go, not, know where he was, not knowing where he was going. However, Abraham had a character flaw because he was broken. He was human like us. So Abraham takes off and he goes. And as he goes, he falls into a trap. And just a couple chapters later, we see in, verse, in chapter 12 that there was a famine in the land. Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter into Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. He married out of his league. He outkicked his coverage. And they're going to kill me, but they're going to let you live. So I got a plan. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and spared because of you. Abraham has enough faith to leave everything behind and move forward with his life, to move from where he is to where God wants him to be. He does all that, but he doesn't have enough faith to think that God's going to keep him alive because of how hot his wife is. (laughs) He woke up and went, oh my goodness, you married me? They're going to kill me as soon as they see us. Listen, here's the deal. You got the lie. So he gives his wife a task. She lies. Pharaoh sees how pretty she is. He calls her into his court. God sends plagues on Egypt. Not even Moses in the plagues. He sends other plagues. Pharaoh's like, what's going on? Why is this happening? It's revealed to him that Abram's wife is Sarai and Pharaoh goes, what did you lie for? Look at all this that's happening to me in my country because you told a lie. But Abraham doesn't repent. And here's why he doesn't repent. He says he's sorry. He takes her and he leaves, but there's not true repentance. Why? Because he repeats it. You'd think Abraham would have learned. But he didn't. Eight chapters later, Abraham now is in Philistine territory. Chapter 20. Abraham says to his wife, he he says of his wife to the king of the Philistines, Abimelech, of Gerar, and he says, ah, that's my sister. Because again, he was afraid for his life. But God came to Abimelech, the the king, and he dreamed, and he said, hey, you are as good as dead because the woman you have taken, she's a married woman. 
And Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't he tell me she's my sister? And didn't she also say he is my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And God said in the dream, I know you did this with clear conscience, so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure you and all who belong to you will die. Skip the first ten. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for lying to me about your wife being your sister? And Abraham replied, I said to myself, surely there is no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. But besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father and not of my mother. She's my half-sister and she became my wife. God made me, had me wander from my father's household and I said to her, this is how, and he manipulates his love towards her. This is how you can show your love to me everywhere we go. Say of me, he's my brother. And we see that Abraham is not repenting, he's justifying. But it's just a half-truth. It's just a white lie. She kind of is my sister and she kind of is my wife. She may have started as your sister, but she became your wife. And Abraham doesn't repent again. He's still living, justifying what he's done. And we see this sin recycled. And it doesn't stop there. Because what started as a half-truth with Abraham turns into a full-blown truth with his son Isaac. Same king, same country, six chapters later. Chapter 26, verse 7. Isaac, his son, in the same country, with the same king. You want TV show drama? You wish you could stream this stuff. When the men of the place asked Isaac about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought, I'm as ugly as my dad. He's, no, he didn't say that. He said, she's my wife. The man of this place might kill me on account of my wife, Rebecca, because she is Beautiful. king. The king looked out of the window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, the Bible says. And he says, I'm going to either arrest that man or that man's married to that woman. And he calls him in, finds out Isaac is married to Rebekah because the king had taken Rebekah into his court. And the same sin is recycled over again passed down to the next generation like a family heirloom. It's unrepented. Abraham, half of a lie. Isaac, the full lie. Doesn't stop here. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We studied the life of Jacob earlier in the year. Jacob now. Jacob, his name means deceiver, liar. He would walk into his father's tent, Isaac, Look his father in his blind eyes, Isaac, who had lied about his wife, Rebecca, and say, I'm the older son, give me the birthright, lied to his father to his face. His father was blind and couldn't tell the difference. And the lie continued, and it doesn't stop there. Go to the next generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Ten sons, then number 11 is Joseph. Joseph, many coat of many colors. Joseph, the favorite son. The ten sons hate Joseph because he's dad's favorite. So they plot to kill him. They throw him in a pit. They sell, they sell him to slave traders. They carry him off to Egypt. They come back to tell dad, your son is dead. He was killed by animals. We found his coat you gave him covered in blood He's dead. And the half-lie great-grandfather Abraham told became a full-blown full lie in the whole family as ten sons now were following the footsteps of the great-grandfather. Because sin recycles. And it doesn't get better and it doesn't stop. It only gets worse unless you stop it. Unless you put an end to it. 
Unless you say, you know what? This anger has run in my family long enough. It has to stop now. It has to stop destroying relationships. It can't control me so that I say what comes to mind. I have to start living in a place where I have self-control, fueled by the Holy Spirit, so the things I say, the things I do are not emotionally found in anger, but they're found in a place. Because just the same as you pass downhill curses, you pass downhill blessings. So you can have a spiritual heritage that goes either direction. So the same balance that we're talking about as sin is passed down, so are blessings passed down. So the choices that you're making to make changes now help equip your children for what is next to benefit them or to hurt them. This whole family. Same sins, new style. How many of y'all woke up this morning and had an urge to find out what, the, what was on the news? Anybody? Anybody find out what was on the news? In the 1920s, the newspaper was king. How many of y'all opened the newspaper this morning and read the newspaper? Anybody in the back? How many of y'all opened up your phone to get any type of news update at all today? 123 years later, now digital media, 93% of people open up digital content. But listen, the news has changed because times have changed, but the news is still the same. We just have a different medium of delivery. So people access the news via newspaper 123 years ago. Now they access it digitally. But the reality is we all have an urge to find out what's in the news and happening around the world. Same news, different delivery method. You may sin in a different delivery style than your parents and grandparents. It's the same sin. You may manifest it differently. It may be portrayed different now. It didn't start with you. You're carrying it down, but it can end with you. Point number two, write this down. The curse is broken, but the pattern is repeated. Because I know many people will say, but, but I got saved, and so the curse is broken. Theology, yes, the curse over your life as a believer all sin is broken, 100%. What Christ did on the cross broke the curse of sin over our lives. However, there's a pattern. This is why Paul consistently wrote, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be sanctified in your soul so that what's on the inside gets flushed out and I create new patterns in my life, new behaviors, new lifestyle. We get all up in our feelings about the way we're living, but we haven't changed the pattern of how we're thinking, the pattern of how we react to something. The curse has been broken, but you can see a toxic, painful, traumatic, hurt Christian going to heaven. Abraham was a father of faith, called out and blessed by God, and everything he touched was blessed, but he still had trauma wounds. And he still had a generational sin that he passed down because he didn't repent and deal with it. One of the most popular scripture, uh, prayers that the Jews would pray over their lives and over their children is in Exodus 34. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of their fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Well, that's some bad news, Pastor. It is if you only read the second half of that. But if you put God's mercy and God's judgment on a scale... The judgment goes to the third and fourth generation. But the mercy and the blessing of God goes a thousand generations deep. So you may not want to make a choice today and confront your past because it affects you, because it upsets mom or dad, 
because it affects some family system you have set up and you just avoid it altogether, so you just rather not? Or you can say, I'll do this for the sake of my children because I want to pass down a godly heritage and blessing for thousands of generations, and I'll do it for them. But the curse is broken, but you've got to reset the pattern. Paul wrote in Colossians, when you were dead in your sins and uncircumcised in your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. He nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And there is no longer a curse for people who are forgiven. He reverses the curse. You're not under a curse. You are not cursed. You are forgiven. But you got to change the pattern. And I need, I need you to realize this morning, there's a man named Pete Scazzaro. He leads emotionally healthy leaders. But it's also for families, for people. We're probably going to take some of this information and begin uh, injecting it into our small groups and into our leadership. He says it this way. He says, you may have Jesus in your heart, but you still have grandpa in your bones. Because those patterns are still there. Because what you look at the most, you look like the most. Dax is so into copying his older brother right now. He wants to wear the same pajamas as Luca. He wants to eat the same food as Luca. He wants to say the same things as Luca. Why? Because he sees a pattern and he repeats what he's looking at. Some of y'all saw patterns of parents that were abusive, that were traumatic, that were painful, that were heartaching, that were terrible. You need to reset your eyes to what you're looking at now. You need to see patterns of people that are hopeful, that are helpful, that are healthy, that are spiritual, that are loving, that are kind, that are good, that are gracious, that are loving to all people. Y'all looking at somebody and they're full of racism towards people. And you're trying to Mark it off and push it to the side. Well, that's just the way, that's the way their grandfather was. Exactly. But you need to find somebody new to look at and go, but this person loves each one, not depending on what color their skin is. So I'm going to change the model I'm looking at and realize I don't want to pass that down to them. Change what you're looking at. And when you change who you are, your kids change what they're looking at. Oh. So we need a new model. Stable, secure, able to carry us, to keep us. I'm going to give you some application here as we close. What I don't want you to do is I don't want you to medicate it. I don't want you to suppress it. I don't want you to ignore it. And I don't want you to blame. Don't suppress push it down. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to think about that. Don't ignore it. It didn't really happen. They didn't mean it. And don't blame. We don't look back to blame. We look back to build. I'm not asking you to look back so you can go get in a fight with somebody behind you, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a guardian, a spouse, I'm asking you to look back to build your future. The whole purpose is not so you can go and play the blame game. And the last thing you want to do is keep suppressing this down so then your kids have to deal with it. So let me give you a couple helpful tools. Please, please write these down. They'll be on the screen. You can take a picture of them. Number one, do a genogram. What in the world is a genogram? It just goes back three or four generations in your family origin. You list it out. There's a bunch online. You can go to emotionallyhealthy.org. You can find one. You can do it there. You just list out mom and dad, family tree, and you start seeing divorce, addiction, abandonment. They were married 60 years. And these lines connect people, and you see 
the brokenness in your family origin. You can ignore it, or you can do something about it. But it's powerful when it's visual and it's on paper and you're looking at it. Some of y'all are like, this is who I am. I don't know how to change. This is how you begin to change. The choices you make that you got to this point, you can't change. But the things you're about to do with your life can be changed. But you have to start today. You'll see where divorce runs in your home and in your family. And you go, you know what? I need to have a generational blessing of marriage covenant. You may come out and you may say, I'm already divorced and now I'm married again. What do I do? Stay married and realize I'm changing and breaking the curse over because I'm saved. And now I'm creating a new pattern in my life that my kids will be blessed. You may see that alcohol addiction runs deep in your family. You may find out being at the bar on Friday nights is not the best place for you after all. You may find out, hey, somebody might be able to have a drink or two. Not for me. It runs way too deep in this family line. Anger runs deep. Sexual, sexual promiscuity runs deep. Can we take some things really serious today? Can we really look things in the eye in our family origin, in our line, and realize these things are why I am the way I am, but I've got to make the changes. I've got to do the hard work of realizing I've got to reset the pattern. Do a genogram. Number two, talk to someone. And I underline the word talk my notes. Talk. Have a conversation. Find somebody, a counselor, a therapist, a pastor, a close mature friend, your spouse. Don't go backwards alone. There's too many blind spots. It's too dark. Good community will take you to a place you may not want to go but you realize you really needed to go there. How many of y'all come to church on Sunday morning and go, I wish you hadn't talked about that today. And then Wednesday you're like, oh my goodness, God just talked to me about that. I'm so glad we talked about that last weekend. Talk to somebody. Have somebody in your life. I see a therapist. We have gone to a really intensive marriage therapist. We spent three days with somebody one time, paid a lot of money. We weren't on the verge of anything terrible. We just needed an update. We needed somebody to see our blind spots. Number three, join and stay committed to the Freedom Small Group. Our small groups launch September 1st. Freedom will launch the last week of August. Why? Because it's a long group. It's 12 weeks. Heads up, it's 12 weeks but it is the best small group you'll ever do in your life. The best small group you will ever do in your whole life. And I invite you to do it. I challenge you to do it, to join it and stay committed to it. Because in week three, you're going to be like, oh, there's a football game on the night. And that was my team. And week five, you're going to be tired from a long day of work. And week seven, the kids are going to be children, being kids. And then all of a sudden you're going to realize, you know what, I I fell out. I have to pick it back up next semester. No, join it and stay committed to it. There's a men's group. There's a women's group. It's 12 weeks. It'll start the last week of August. You'll be able to sign up next Sunday. Walk in freedom in your life. It's It's the greatest small group we offer. And I encourage every person in this church to go through it. Number four, pray. Get into God's presence. Have a conversation with your father. Hey, Dad. I know there's some stuff I've done. I know you broke the curse over my life, but I've got to reach. I got to reset the pattern. Help me. Instead of anger, I want self-control. Instead of lust, I want love. I don't want to. I don't want to pass this stuff down to my sons. I don't want them to have the same struggles I did. 
can change. Pray what? Pray for what? Pray specifically that whatever runs in my line, God would help me and strengthen me and empower me to reset. Pray that my line is different now. Pray with somebody. Prayer is like going to the gym. You have accountability and a partner, it makes going to the gym a lot easier and a lot more frequent. Try to pray alone, it can be difficult, challenging. Prayer. And number five, do life with your new family of origin, your church. Do life with your new family of origin. You couldn't choose your family of origin you came from. You can choose your family of origin you're in now. We say welcome home, welcome to the avenue. If this is not the church for you, we'll help you find one. But if this is, don't just sit around, engage, contribute, be a part. Don't think because of your stuff, baggage, sin, trauma, pain, it disqualifies you. I've got mine, they've got theirs, they got stuff, we all do. Every one of us is flawed, each one. And yet, by the grace of God, we engage this family of origin. Why? Because spiritual DNA is passed down the same as physical DNA is. And I like when I run into somebody and they go, you pastor the avenue? I know Justin, I teach with him. He laughs all the time and he's always telling me about how great that church is. What does that tell me? It tells me the DNA of the avenue is running through him. I remember one time I went to a restaurant and I had a waitress and the waitress was like, you pastor the avenue? I was like, yeah. She said, one of the best tips I ever had came from somebody from your church. Why? Because generosity runs through the DNA of the avenue. Your new family of origin. The cross is now the root. And we are the fruit of what Christ did on the cross. The curse has been broken, but we've got to change the pattern. You change it in here. You change it in here. And what you produce on the outside now gets handed down. And our kids are better for it. We say it all the time. We're not building a church for us. We're building it for the next generation. We may be portable, but our kids will have a building. I may have a struggle, but it's not going to be my son's, and it doesn't have to be your kids either. You can make the change. But you have to confront it. You have to look it in the eyes. You have to realize what it is. You can't suppress it. You don't blame anybody for it. You just build off of it. Would you stand with me? God says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Just close your eyes just for a moment. If you will, just kind of lift your hands any way you want. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Nobody's making you. I'm just inviting you to. This is a sign. As a child might be looking to his parents and saying, Dad, pick me up. Dad, pick me up this morning. I need a lift. My five-year-old, this morning, he needed to be set on the counter. And he just lifted his hands, and I elevated his life from where he was to where he was going next. And I see that right now in the spiritual that God is elevating some of your lives. You're just lifting your hands up to your Father and saying, Father, just pick me up, just pick me up, just pick me up. And you can't get there on your own, but your Heavenly Father comes in and scoops you and lifts you and sets you into the place He has for you next. God, we need you in our lives more than we even know. We think we really know, but we don't. God, we need you so much more. God, we ask for more, more of your love, your kindness, your gentleness, your patience, more of your faithfulness. God, we break and change patterns. 
God, if there is just unfaithfulness in our line, we choose and commit to be faithful people. And every time I choose faithfulness over unfaithfulness, I'm setting my kids up to win. Every time I choose to be generous and not greedy, I'm setting my kids up to win. Every time I choose to not lust but move my eyes and throw my attention, I set up the next generation for the blessing you have of purity. God, let this thing run deep into our lives and into our hearts. Change us, God, from the inside out. you go and get you out of here. I'm going to pray for you. My mom and dad made it possible for me to be here today. As first generation believers, they changed up the script and the pattern. They didn't have a mom and dad to show them what to do. They plugged into a local church, found a pastor who mentored them, found other believers who would help them and they just said, we're changing the way we do life. God, this is so strong on me right now. Some of you have been wandering and looking and waiting and trying to figure out who is going to help me. And God has said, it's a local church. It's my church. It's my community. It's the body of Christ that comes together. We're not perfect. Only he is. We are flawed. And the more you know about us, the more you'll find it out. But I'm telling you, we can love some people. We can welcome some people. We can help some people. We can challenge some things that you need to get rid of. We can help pull some things out of you you didn't believe about yourself. We can help you find your purpose, your reason. We can help you discover a healthy marriage, a joy for your kids. Because that's what God has given to us. God, I pray blessings upon your people. I thank you that for every believer, the curse has been broken. The devil has been beaten. The enemy has been triumphed over. And God, I pray now we remind him of that every time we make a choice and a decision. And the pattern is reset. In Jesus' mighty name. Just close your eyes for a moment. If you're here today and you say, Dave, where do I start? What's my beginning? What's my first step? It's simply into a space to say, you need Jesus in your life above all. He needs to be your Lord and your Savior. He needs to break the curse, and then he'll begin to change the pattern. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. I'm going to have to invite the prayer team to come down to the front. There's going to be people across the front here, just a few people, who would love to have a moment to pray with you about anything at all in your life. Anything. I could have spoken about it, but maybe I didn't. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together as a church. And I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer of faith to believe for the forgiveness of your sins and make Jesus Lord of your life. After that, I'm going to dismiss. But if you need prayer, don't walk out of here. Just come receive prayer for a couple minutes, a few seconds, whatever it might be. And let somebody pray over you and start doing the work you need in your life. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Forgive me of my sins and make me new. Wash me clean and break the curse. The devil is beaten and you are victorious. 
Now reset the pattern in my life. Renew my mind. Transform my soul. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate him this morning. God is doing something amazing. Engage what is happening here at the Avenue. If you love prayer, the band's going to play for just a few moments. Come down and receive prayer. Don't walk out without it. If you're ready to go, greet somebody. Tell somebody hi. Get another cup of coffee on your way out. We love each one of you. We will see you again next Sunday. Sign up for small groups. We'll be out there next week. We can't wait.